know I have somber. Just wave to me, by the way, and smile. And even the people online, you also wave and smile. Just say, wow. wow. Say it uh, backwards. Wow. Say it upside down. Wow. Oh, you're doing a good job. It is wonderful, wonderful to be here. And I thought before I even uh, start, I think somebody is going to come and help me. And we're going to watch a video in a couple of minutes. But I thought, let me just clarify this thing about kissing. So people... <laughs> I am from the country of Norway when you hear I have an accent. Uh, but when people ask me, I tell them I'm a true southerner because I'm from the southwest part of Norway. But if you know us Norwegian, we're pretty stoic in nature. And so, and often we are not very comfortable with love. And if you ask my wife, when we first met and we started today, and, and she was a good southern girl and and born in Albuquerque, but I, I remember she was just kind of leaning towards me, and I leaned in the opposite direction. <laughs> uh, so publicly speaking, we don't show affection. But over this journey with Papa God, I had an encounter called a baptism of love that totally transformed this Norwegian. And as a result of that, I received some sloppy wet kisses from Papa God. <laughs> it was not just to change me, but a fun story to first time publicly this was happening. I was doing an event with Bill Johnson and Randy Clark, and I was doing it in Southampton, England, and there was about 700 leaders in Central Hall, and I still remember very clearly that Bill and Randy both was going to fly out, and I was finishing that night, and there was this Anglican pastoral priest. He came up to me and said, would you pray for me? And I said, sure, I'm about to pray for you. Oh, that's enough, thanks, and he headed off. And I realized we had a little bit of problem. There is some love deficiency here. So in the next moment, I just asked, and I had been in a situation when we talked about obedience, where I just made a commitment, I'm going to be obedient to whatever God says. So I've been in that season in life, and then suddenly I felt the Holy Spirit whisper, tonight I want you just to get eight bottles of water, but I want you to kiss everyone in this room. I mean, there's over 700 leaders, and many of them are prominent leaders, and I didn't say much to Bill or Randy, but they kind of gave me the freedom for the last night. But the stories and the testimony what God did, that whole place that the glory of God showed up, people were healed, set free, things that God did as a result just of the obedience. And later on, I am in the Middle East, in Pakistan, and I'm meeting with this radical Muslim imam. And again, I felt the Holy Spirit. And I'm an infidel. You do not touch them. Then they are unclean. And I felt the Lord said, I want you to kiss him. And eventually, the grand imam, the top Muslim leader of the whole nation, there was going to be a meeting with the prime minister. And right before the meeting, he comes up to me and says, when we are in public, you do not kiss me. And I see this long beard, and I'm getting so tempted. <laughs> so I'm saying this just, uh, it, it is out of an obedience to the Lord. And I've had a lot of fun with it over the years. And, and it is true. I do show affections towards people. Sometimes you give them the look because uh, the Father is looking. The Father is full of compassion. The Father is running towards us, not away from us. The father is embracing, and then the Bible said the father was kissing. And the Greek word for kissing, what it was over and over and over again. And that's what led to repentance and transformation. So uh, I've been in this beautiful journey of just learning to be obedient, whatever he tells me. And, and it has kept me alive, because there's a lot of things I've done that you do not do. The last meeting, just five weeks ago, before I came home, uh, I was in the Middle East. I was in Pakistan during COVID-19. They had just shut down India and Pakistan a couple of weeks before we got there. And first, they said, you can't get visa because of COVID-19. And we used our favor card, and, and God gave us some favor. And on Sunday, when the Pakistani embassy was closed, they called us and said, on Sunday. And they said, it's the first time they opened up the embassy on Sunday and sent us visa to me and a pastor to be able to go in. It's called favor. 
And then out of this favor, when we went in this time, there were so many obstacles and they closed on the country of Pakistan. And the first place I got to be, and this is during Ramadan, during Juma prayer, the holiest time, and you're coming in on Friday. And the first place we got to be is in the Bachahi Mosque or the King's Mosque. This incredible mosque with over 100,000 people during this holy time. And then for me to be able to, to be introduced as an ambassador of love by the granny mom. And this message is a message that goes into the whole nation of over 200 million people. And then to be able to represent the king and to be able to learn the language of love that is the language the blind eyes can see and the deaf ears can hear. And so for me, this is the biggest privilege, but the last person I got to pray with, we were locked up in a hotel because of a lot of terrorism. And there had just been 46 people killed outside. And so I decided when I, I was locked up in my room, let's bring some of the people to my room since I can't go out there. And one of the ones that came is a very influential imam who's on television. Every day he influenced about 60 million people. And he brought his wife with full burqa to my room. And, uh, Normally, they will never let a wife be around. And I even asked him for the favor to be able, could she remove the veil? I feel like I was supposed to pray for her. What I didn't know that she had been bipolar for eight years. And when I just gave her the look of love, she had an encounter with love that went in. This is Muslim. And that imam, she starts in Arabic and went back and forth in Arabic, not in Urdu because she's from Syria, but in Arabic, it went back and forth and she was blown away because, and I found out she's been totally healed from bipolar disease. And that's the last person I saw. And then actually, and it's interesting, he asked, she asked him, and he has a PhD in Islamic study. He is, he's an imam. But she asked him, well, what actually happened? He said, it's that Jesus in him, that you, because she felt his energy that was flowing, and she could just feel it. And she started to get this joy back. Tears came into her eyes, and she was just changed. And that, that was the last. And I was thinking, I'm going to have a Sabbath. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to rest. And then when I landed in New York City, that's when both Jennifer and Frida, have you heard? And then I found out that Papa Jack had ended up in the hospital and then we just hurried, went down to Florida and spent the next about 72 hours. And we were then was able to say goodbye to Papa Jack. And, and actually Sunday morning when we we're going to have a very special time here, I believe the last words that I got to hear from Papa Jack before he had his upgrade, because he was not supposed to be able to speak. But Friday afternoon he said, son, uh, I've been praying for you. And then right after, he said, uh, I said, Papa Jack, what, what is your favorite message? And he said, Moses and the rod lay it down. And that was the last words. And that was Friday afternoon. <laughs> and then we later on, and we're going on Sunday, unpack what that means. But I just knew something shifted in that room. And, and there was an atmosphere change for me. And it's kind of often there's the battle you fight after the battle you won. So I'm saying that even being here and being here with Mama Frida, it is such an honor to be there. And we have had 21 years together and my beautiful, beautiful wife, as I say, this, this beautiful journey. And knowing what God is doing here, because I knew that Papa Jack, Mama Frida, Jennifer, myself, we were all supposed to be part of this very special event. But then I realized that Papa Jack is among the large cloud of witnesses in heaven, even today. And several times during worship, I could just... I could just see Papa Jack just being part of this and even with a whole encouragement, therefore you run this race that is set before you and let go of anything that entangles you. It was this incredible thing I felt during worship. So I'm very excited about being here. It's an honor to be here. And, and uh, Gail and Alan, thank you so much. And I just heard Papa say, well done. Well done. And I know that what God is doing here is a generational move. And I, again, through the service, I just felt this whole thing. It's happening all over the place, and I'm just warming up my voice. <clears throat> I'm not even stopping my message, but I'm feeling that uh, even when Papa Jack went to heaven, one of the first things I've realized, when great men die, great wealth is being transferred. 
And we had a Reinhard Bonke, we had a Billy Graham, we had Louis Palau, three of the top evangelists in the last 100 years that has gone on to heaven. And there's other people that has been going. And when Papa Jack went, what is actually, there's a trust that is going to be trusted. So even in this house, when I was thinking about Papa Jack, when I'm looking at all those signs that here you have Alan and Gail that have carried covenant that has been a life message. I've been leaning my hearts towards that because covenant and Papa Jack with a kingdom. It's all about the family covenant and the mission of this family kingdom. It's about the alignment covenant and then the assignment kingdom. That comes from this. Is, so I'm realizing that what God is doing here, and I'm looking around the room, and I realize this is a three-generational move. It is grandmas and grandpas and fathers and mothers. And then to be able to realize, we often say that what is the ceiling of one generation. One generation pay so the next generation can play. But the question, oh, will this generation pay so the third generation will play? And if you had three generations, you would change a city and a nation. You have father, son, spirit, cities, and nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you have cities and nations. And you will have family being established that will fill this earth with a glory. So I feel there's something holy taking place, and we get to be part of it. And that's why we just wanted to honor his presence. And it is incredible to know both, to know both Ruth and Paul that I've known for many, many years. Papa Jack, we talked on the phone when we got the news that what was going to take place here. We just rejoiced, realizing that this wealth, both what Papa Jack had in his account, but also what both Gail and Alan have in their account, what we have in our account, is available for the new account. Can, can you see there's something totally different? They are not starting from scratch. It's actually all these accounts. And then they have other accounts with Global Awakening and other accounts. And all of that is because that everyone in Albuquerque is going to know how good Papa God is. And everybody in Albuquerque is going to know how loved they are. I believe that God is raising up a culture, changing culture, that is going to make it hard for people to go to hell and easy for people to go to heaven. So I just wanted to celebrate you and many of you that has been involved in this. And I, I share with Alan, I said, I'm going to continue to walk with you guys in the next season. We talked yesterday and it is an honor for me to be able to continue to walk in a covenant relationship and then be able to see, because I believe that the, the, the blessing here is that you have grandmas and grandpas. And they may be going away and traveling and doing some different things, but you have mothers and fathers, and this is the beautiful thing. But I also saw earlier just this whole place was full with a whole new generation of extravagant worshiper. And I felt it was going to come, and I'm not going to prophesy too much, but I, I felt just that it's going to be a group of core 400. It was like David's mighty men. They got their identity back. They got their value restored. They've been devalued everywhere else. Their value is going to be restored, and they're going to start to dream. And those 400 became 600 in the next, and then created just a wave. So I just realizing that from a man after God's own heart, he is raising up a family, a culture after his own heart. So I wanted to show a little video, I think that, and then I think I'm going to start my message. Is this okay? So if I can get the three cheers. <clears throat> While we are facing a COVID-19 pandemic in a world right now, there's been a silent pandemic plaguing us for many generations. All around the world today, there are people in our churches, businesses, governments, and even in our homes that are operating out of an orphan spirit. Papa God has adopted us as sons and daughters we are ears of the inheritance of King Jesus. But there is an entire generation who are living as orphans, not as sons and daughters of glory. And they are currently 3.4 billion people who have very little access to the gospel message, the good news. And 1.7 billion people, they have no access to the gospel at all. So while we wait for the second coming of Jesus, they have never heard about the first. What would the world look like 
if the sons and daughters of glory this, they held prominent positions in society, how would the lives of every human change if we truly understood the depths of our Father's love for us? What if we all this understood is at the King's our Mosque. identity? What would the world change if we all loved like Jesus? People are Papa God's number one priority and he wants his kids back. His desire is that his sons and daughters would shed the lies and the stronghold that hinder love and step into their true identity as ambassadors of love to a world searching for a God that looks like Jesus. All of creation is longing for the entire manifestations of the sons and daughters of glory. The time for reformation is here. A tsunami wave of love is coming, and the world as we know it will never be the same. The orphan spirit has plagued our world by causing sons and daughters to believe that they are insignificant and causing the family to believe they are homeless. Papa God wants one billion new sons and daughters to enter his kingdom, and the Agatha Reformation is bringing a tsunami wave of love that will transform God's people and the world forever. Orphans will stand up and take their rightful place as heirs of the kingdom and will find their place at the table in the family of God. Family is what the kingdom looks like and Papa God wants his family back. This reformation, this Agatha reformation, will be a revival that we've never seen on this earth. It will transform culture, government, and education, and will radically affect every sphere of society. Because when love moves in, fear moves out. Oh, it is time to take our place as ambassadors of love and show the world a God that looks like, and sounds like, and feels like Jesus. It is time for the Agape Reformation. Amen. How many of you have in the last 18 months experienced there's been a lot of shaking going on? How many of you are no longer what you used to be, but you have not yet become what you're supposed to become? I think that we are experiencing right now some of the biggest transition that the world has ever seen. And part of what I wanted to do is, with this message today for the New Life family, this city church, I wanted to be able to provide a clear language. There's three questions that I believe that every one of us in this season need to be able to answer correctly if we're going to live and love well. Number one, it is, what time is it? So if you're taking note, what time is it? When I'm asking that, I'm not saying what time, what Looking at the watch, it is quarter past eight. It is, what is the Kairos moment that we are living in? So what time is it? This is very important for us to understand as part of God's big picture. And I'm here to propose to say that we're living during the second most important time in world's history. The first one was when Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago. And a lot of people didn't understand the time. And they did not even realize what was going on. Imagine if you lived back 2,000 years ago and this 12-year-old boy will run home to mama and says, Mama, mama, I don't want to play with Jesus anymore. He always thinks he is right. <laughs> oh, what about the boy that was playing basketball and he said, like, it's like we're always losing. It's like playing against God himself. <laughs> I believe that there was a lot of people Crowds that was around him, there was a lot of people around Jesus, but very few people recognized the Kairos moment they were living in. And the same today, it's very important for us to recognize the time. And I grew up kind of in the 70s where you had some of these things that, oh, Jesus is coming back soon. You had the thief in the night. These movies that didn't make you sleep very good. And then Antichrist is coming, and are you going to go through the seven years of tribulation? And if somebody were to tell me that you're going to go into the darkest Muslim area, filling up stadiums, and starting to see tens of thousands of people be healed in a single meeting, 
and to see over one million names added to the Lamb's Book of Life. No, we were looking at the watch, hoping Jesus was going to come back. And we were saying, come, Jesus, come. Why he's saying, go, church, go. And we missed out on a whole generation. We lost a whole generation that was trying to get out of here instead of bringing Jesus into here. Mainly because they didn't understand the time that they were living in. And they did not then invest their time or their talent or their treasure right. So we are living now during a Kairos moment. We are the only generation for the last 2,000 years that can finish the unfinished task. We are the only generation that has an opportunity to fill this earth with a knowledge of glory of God as water covered the sea. We're the only generation that have an opportunity to bring in what I call the one billion soul harvest. It's not going to be a one billion soul harvest. It's going to be a billion sons and daughter harvest. Because God doesn't want a billion orphans. He wants a billion sons and daughters. And many of us, we've been asking God for the fire. And he is looking for us to build healthy fireplaces. Because the fire belongs to fireplaces. So that's one of those questions. The second question is, what is God doing in our generation? Say that with me. One more time. I didn't say what the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy is doing. I didn't say what the devil is doing. It's very easy to be able to come up with a list of everything the enemy is doing around the world. Well, in America, I said, what is God doing in our generation? The second thing I didn't either say, I didn't say what God is not doing. And a lot of people right now were being distracted by what God is not doing because we cannot see clearly what God is doing. And part of my assignment today is to give us clarity to see what God is doing, what God is up to, and wake up in the morning with purpose and passion and to join God in what he is doing. So instead of asking God to bless what we are doing, we get to do what God is blessing. Let me say that one more time. So instead of then asking God to bless what we are doing, we get to do what God is blessing. And the third question we need to answer right is, is also where each one of us fit in to God's purpose, to God's plan. So it doesn't matter if you're 90 years old. It doesn't matter that like with Alan and Gail that is going through a transition right now. Each one in this place, I mean, there's only one person like you, fearfully and wonderfully made. Even before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. Ephesians 1.4. And he predestined you in love. Ephesians 1, 4. So that means you started out in glory. You were there with him in the beginning. And Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He had you in his mind. So who are you? Who are you? And there's a potential in each one of us, a God-given potential. And this is so much of my assignment, to help unlock the potential what God has placed in each one of the sons and daughters of glory. For you to be full of you. But who are you? Second question is, where are you? The first question is identity. Say identity. The second is intimacy. Say intimacy. So when he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? It's not about location. It has to do actually, where are you in your relationship with me? Intimacy. And then what, what is available to you? Meaning inheritance. And then this last thing has to do with what is your special sauce? What is your uniqueness? What is your calling? Called destiny. Say, who are you? Where are you? What do you have? And what are you called to do? And so the best way I can do that in 23 minutes and 12 seconds is actually to bring these three cheers together and to be able to get the framework. And... These three cheers, Papa Jack also loved it because it creates language. And it's going to be important for us because my belief is that it is God's will for you to be a chair number one believer. And you're going to learn about that. And if you're married, that you're going to have a chair number one marriage. And if you have four amazing children, that you're going to raise them up in a chair number one atmosphere and environment. And we're going to learn what that means like. Or, as I'm saying, that if you run a business, then you're going to run a chair number one business. And we could just go on. So are you ready? This is chair number one. Which chair is this? One more time. Chair number one. This is chair number two. Which chair is this? 
And this is chair number three. Which chair is this? In Ephesians 2, 6 says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's, that's the seating place where you're resting place. Chair number one, and by the way, everyone in this room, you're operating from one of these three chairs. The majority of us will, the majority, 93% of the believers pretty much live in chair number two. Like one of my friends, he built a mega church in chair number two. He didn't even know that chair number one existed. So chair number one is all about the kingdom of God. Say kingdom of God. Papa Jack's, one of his top favorite verses was, seek first his kingdom. Say his kingdom. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And I remember Papa Jack constantly was talking about making sure that you're seeking first. What are you seeking first? So on your priority list, it is the kingdom. And it is his righteousness, not my righteousness. And then when we're just prioritizing there, the other things will be added. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. And I could be here now and just take you from eternity past to eternity future. And you will find two words, covenant and kingdom. And that's going to be chair number one. The family and the mission of this family, chair number one. Okay, say kingdom of God. Chair number two is about the kingdom of self. Say kingdom of self. And I'm saddened in this season of so many of the churches connected even to me. They were divided over masks. I know people that, one of our churches, there was about 150 people left because we wanted freedom. Somebody else then left when they had freedom. And it was just going back. It was all these divorces because self is in the center of the people here. Including, I remember I was in Australia in a place called Byron Bay. This lady, she had watched me. She had been watching me on Sid Roth, and she came two and a half hours to come to the meeting. And she said, oh, I've been so excited to, to hear you, but I'm very upset. Because this worship team, they worship for two hours and 15 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and she said, but there was no time for you to speak. And I said, good. <laughs> but she said, and I didn't like the music. And I said, that's no problem. It was not for you. It was for him. But in chair number two, it is give me, touch me, bless me, fill me, 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 me. And if I don't like what you are doing, I get divorced and I go and find my own group that agree with me. And if they disagree, I divorce from them because that's what orphans do. So you have an orphanage here where 93% of the believers... Hoping to have visitation, but they don't know how to have habitation. And then we have this chair is the kingdom of the world. Say kingdom of the world. I've driven a little bit in Albuquerque. And I came here maybe 35 years ago, the first time I drove through. And have been back a few times over the years, including the joy of ministering to this family. But when I'm coming into Albuquerque, with most of the statistics and what I'm reading is the majority of Albuquerque is in chair number three. They are lost. If you're in chair number one, you're saved. Say saved. Chair number two, you're saved. Say saved. And chair number three, you are lost. Say lost. And the majority of the world's population are in chair number three. And many people are so surprised how America as a nation that was supposed to, at least they thought it was a chair number two nation. They realize it's chair number three nation and lost people act lost. And people are saying, oh, Brother Leif, we need to pray. It's getting dark here. And I'm like, wow, is it dark? That's wonderful because I'm in the light business. <laughs> and every time there is darkness, my stock goes up. But don't you see how big Goliath is? No, I've seen how big Papa God is. It's, it's a whole different perspective. But I'm not here to sit there, but I'm, I'm going to help because I feel what God is doing here today and what he's going to do in my life and our life because I've been in chair number two a lot lately. 
I don't live there. I know about chair number one. And we're going to learn the difference. And there's such a transformation when you're living your life like you have a home. And you can have one of the biggest houses up by the mountain and still not have a home. So let me take a few moments just to describe these chairs. And my intention today is for us to eventually experience the beautiful things. Say, repent. Well, we are then getting back into the penthouse where we belong by repenting. <laughs> and living a life from heaven's perspective. Well, you do not treat people based upon their history, but their destiny. You do not see people the way they are, but how they're going to be. Well, we're learning how to love well. So let me describe chair number one, and let me put some scripture verses. If we had the time, Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 20. Take the whole thing, but I will just take a couple of bits and pieces. In verse 17, it says that you are rooted and grounded in love. Hey, that means you are rooted and grounded in love. You are rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Your, root, your roots and your foundation is love. So then you can step in to know how high and deep and wide and long is Papa God love for you. Rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Oh, high and deep and wide and long is Papa God love for me. Be careful. This kind of a thinking can lead to dancing. And you can become a joyful Christian. And maybe the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Wow. This chair, a lifestyle chair, if you're going into the roots, that's what's saying even your identity go all the way back to who you were before the foundation of the world, where you were predestined in love. Your root system go back there. It doesn't go to the garden. It doesn't go to the fall. Chair number one is always about glory management. Chair number two is always about sin management. And if you're going to go from glory to glory, the starting place has to be glory. Because you are glorious. What sin made us fall short of glory, what Jesus came to restore us back to glory. When I'm in chair number one, and I love chair number one, Jesus was always in chair number one. The kingdom is in the spirit. The Bible says the kingdom is not about eating or drinking, chair number two. But it is about Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. See, chair number one. Chair number one is in the Spirit. Because the kingdom is in the Spirit. And righteousness, peace, and joy flows from that place. Chair number one, the supernatural is what's natural. If I bump into you in chair number one, love, joy, peace is going to come out. But he did, or she did, or he didn't wear a mask, or he didn't like this, or me, or he. Orphans compete with one another. Sons and daughters complete one another. And I can provide 12 hours just right now of just chair number one. I actually wrote a book, took 16 hours of, I just taught on chair number one for 16 hours, two days. On every aspect, and it's just a simple thing, because this is what Jesus came for. And from chair one, we're going to actually change Albuquerque. We're going to change the world. So what you saw on the video, we become a change agent when we have become change. Free people sets people free. And we heard the Gail mention, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is. And whom the Son set free is. They are free indeed. And free people sets people, heal people, hurt people. Chair number two is, if you touch the lepers, you become unclean. If you're on chair number one, if you touch the lepers, they become clean. There's a whole different way of living and loving. Chair number one is the resting place. Say rest. It's called the hard work of rest. Say rest. And rest becomes your weapon of warfare. And out of rest, you're wearing the enemy out. 
everything in a demonic realm is restless in nature because Lucifer was the first orphan when he left heaven with the one-third of the fallen angels. They don't have a home. They are restless in their operating system. And the dove, the Holy Spirit, when it came upon Jesus, it rested upon him because he was at rest. And for the next three, three and a half years, he changed the world. And the biggest thing also went, who does Albuquerque say that I am? And then who do you, Simon? That's a Chernobyl 2 name, Bar-Jonah, Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? But this time, Simon got the Chernobyl 1 revelation. He got a father revelation. And he looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ. What does that mean? The anointed one. You are the son, son, son. You're the daughter, daughter, daughter. You're the, this is not a gender thing. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon Barjona, this revelation you could have only got from my father. But now when you know who I am, you can know who you are. And listen, because who Jesus is to you is who Jesus will be through you. And the people hear the view of Jesus is just what Jesus is going to do for me. And maybe have as a savior, but I don't want the Lord. And I'm trying to slow it down because there's so much, but I wanted to. There's just a couple of highlights I feel is going to be important for us. But this Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, these fruits is coming out of you abiding in him. And the rest thing is in your identity. So the four legs on the chair, number one is identity. Second is intimacy. Then inheritance. Then destiny. So in this chair, number one position, this is where Papa Jack came in and changed my life. Because I was one that had seen a half a million people saved, 300,000 people healed, but with an orphan spirit. I visited Chernobyl one in the meetings, but then I lived like an orphan the rest of the time. Why did he get healed and not me? Because in the orphan world here, you have to do. Say, I do. Say, I do. Then I have. Say, then I have. Then I become. Welcome to the orphan world. And then we have five, politically speaking, because in the orphan world, we have two orphan systems. And the orphan's going to fight which one is the best of the orphan systems. And we divide. And I'll just share this with Patricia King. I was just there because we had question and answering time because when we are not coming, listen, you only have authority over what you love. Could I say that one more time? We only have authority over what we love. And I hope that everyone in it, if you live in Albuquerque, fall in love with your city. When I'm going to land in Atlanta, I'm going to get tears in my eyes. That's my city. And that city is supposed to be a better city when the light shows up. And here I will sit and talk about how bad that city is. And I'm coming into an agreement with a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy instead of Jesus who came to give them life and life more abundant. Because God is love, 1 John 4, 16. And when you abide in love, you abide in God. And he says, as I am, so are you in this world. And I'm putting this into perspective. When, when, when Peter Got this revelation, Jesus said, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be rock. Because upon this rock, Chernobyl 1, upon this identity, I will build my church. What identity, what rock was it, St. Peter's Square? What identity, upon this revelation, I'm going to build a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Upon the identity of anointed sons and anointed daughters, he's building a church that is unstoppable. And he gives us the keys of the kingdom so we can be involved in the loosing and binding business. But he had to go from being a Simon Barjona chair two to becoming a Peter rock, unshakable. And upon this identity, 
Because when you know the special sauce of Jesus, I'm an anointed son. All I do is what I see my father do. All I say is what I hear my father say. It's the resting place of knowing who you are and whose you are. And the dove is resting where you are resting. And I'm resting in my sonship. And what the enemy is using, I want to just, what the enemy is using as a weapon. How many here is tired? Honestly, I am tired. So I'm one of them. Anybody else is tired in this room? I'm not talking about just physically, but what the enemy has used as a weapon in the last 18 months is used a strategy called fatigue. Say fatigue. And when fatigue comes in, he's going down on your emotional tank. You're listening to news. And we had one thing after the other. It's been about 11, 12 things of stirring going on. And what he's doing, he's, he's fatiguing us. Like myself, I was emotionally spent when I came from Pakistan. There's some 70 hours with Papa Jack. And then being there with Mama Frida. And then coming home and... It's just been one thing. Then I had a friend that died, and then I had some health issue. And it was just one thing after the other, and it wouldn't stop. It's like one leak, and you fix that, there's another leak. And the enemy is just waiting till you're getting down to red on your emotional tank. And then he pushes the button of fear, and you didn't realize you moved into the wrong chair. And there's a lot of prophets then that didn't realize what took place that starts to prophesy from this chair. Or intercessors that pray, but this chair is rooted in fear. So you know if this chair number two, if there's three friends, fear, shame, and guilt. So when Alan said Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. First of all, it is guilt from the past. Shame for today and fear for tomorrow. And I believe that what God is going to do even this evening is going to set us free from and those are the three areas. I was stuck there a couple of weeks after Papa Jack was gone. And here I had just been in the Middle East watching my own video. And I'm coming in. I'm going into a dark place. And I can't get out of it. Say fatigue. Say fear. Then failure. Then forsaken. And the enemy come in and say, hey, you didn't have the power to even to help your own father. And here you are supposed to be. And the enemy started guilt. Shame. And I know when shame is speaking because shame will always tell you who you're not. Papa God would always tell you who you are. And then fear comes in. Say fatigue, fear, failure, and then forsaken. You're the only one, Ireland, that is struggling right now. You're the only one. He isolates us, takes us away from family. And then from there, Goliath starts to mock you. He's going after you. And the big thing for me now is uh, even if fear comes and knock on my door, I'm not going to open up. I'm sending love to open up the door. And love just opened up the door and there was nobody there. Just try it. Perfect love. So when you are here, the three friends, faith, say faith, hope, and love. Those are the three friends in this season. So when the enemy comes there, faith, hope, and love is going to be your friends in this season. And here, shame, fear, and guilt is what the enemy is operating. So he was coming after me. I was stuck here. But then eventually I was able to, I was done with Patricia King, and we have both had a lot of battlefields. And during this time of ministry, we were together, and then that was one of the moments when the glory came in, and I was able to see things from heaven's view. To see things the way Papa God was seeing things. I got back into chair number one. My morning is the same. Pain is the same. Circumstances are the same. But I'm not the same. And my smile is a genuine smile. I have grace right now here. And grace to enjoy. And grace to endure. But there is grace. And grace comes from humility. Humility. And he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
So when we are coming home, we're tapping into God's ability, God's grace. So we can certainly start to operate again. We're plugging in and getting electricity back into our life and starts to operate and facing the same circumstances. Because when I'm here, I don't see how big Goliath is. I see how big Papa God is. I don't see Islam as a problem. I see Islam as a promise. My perspective is changing when I'm seeing things. A couple of small little testimony or story connected. So I wanted you just to see how these things are operating. But we had also seen, so sometimes it is six months before I go to the Middle East. Often my right ear, and it actually happened in Australia when I was with a friend at her home church. And we were actually planning, as soon as I made a decision, I suddenly got this bad infection. And from Brisbane, I was going to fly and this ear busted. And then as a result of that, I started to get this ringing sound and vertical. And for the next six months, it was bad. And by the time I got into the Middle East, we were supposed to do this assignment. I, I was pretty much worn out. And what, what I still remember that very day, because I needed to hear this still small voice, that it was all this noise around. And it didn't help that the terrorism at that time period. So I got in at 3.40 in the morning. This is a few years ago. 3.40 in the morning. And when I got into my hotel, I thought, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. And I didn't know I was in between chair one and two. <laughs> because deception is very deceiving. So the next, I finally fall asleep. It's been 30 minutes or something. Ah! right house is this big prayer tower and I'm standing there and I'm getting bored ooh this dark ooh, this, ooh intercession or ooh, ooh this and I'm trying to sleep and everything I put earplugs my bows on everything else but it, nothing stopped and I'm instead of now loving the people that I'm called to love I'm sitting here being irritated because when you're in chair number one you're anointed say anointed but when you're in chair number two, you're annoying. Say annoying. <laughs> My wife knows the difference. <sighs> Just ask her. When I'm in chair number one, I'm very prophetic. Say prophetic. But when I'm in chair number two, I'm very pathetic. <laughs> There's such a big difference, and I know all of us know that. It's like people, when they see me in chair number one, it's like because you become greater than you are. And that is the anointing separate you from yourself. When the dove is there, I can look at the same. I can have peace in the storm. I can sleep with Jesus in the middle of the storm. You have that beautiful painting. But I'm stuck in this place. So finally, I, I decide I'm going to look on television to see what's going on. And it's like one imam after the other from Saudi. And there was kind of a channel after channel in the morning. And one person kind of got to me and I turned off. I was like, I can't handle this anymore. And then I felt the Holy Spirit, even while I'm in chair number two, God speak. When you're in chair number one, you're hearing the Father's voice. But when you're chair number two, when God speaks, it has to filter its way through your soul to touch your spirit. Here is spirit, soul, body, life, and river flows. But what is happening here is my soul is on the top. And when God speaks, it has to filter its through my mind, will, emotion to touch my spirit. But the Spirit just whispered to me, says, Leif, I want you to meet that guy. And I get this impression, I'm like, I rebuke that voice kind of. <laughs> the devil must be speaking here right now. I mean, there's a lot of warfare going on. And suddenly, again, it was five times. And finally, I decided, I cannot sleep because I had this impression I'm supposed to meet this guy. And oh, so I contact my coordinator, Dr. Marcus Fida, and said, Marcus, I want you to go to this guy's headquarters. And I told him which channel, he's famous all over. And uh, my coordinator said, oh, you do not know. This guy is as big as Oprah is in America. And I'm like, oh. But okay, I'm going to be obedient, Paul. I'm going to be obedient. So I told Marcus. Marcus came back. He said, I told you. I talked to the secretary of his assistant. And there was no way the secretary, he's not interested in me with his infidel. And I'm like, yeah. I was obedient. Chair number two. Now I can sleep. And then I can hear the Holy Spirit. I can't sleep. I'm like, 
And I can hear the Holy Spirit whisper, Leif, I didn't ask you to try to see him. I said, I want you to see him. And at that moment, I said, I don't know how to do this. He said, of course not. And I repented. I went back home. So I could hear my father's voice. What I do is what I hear my father. So I was just first praying in the spirit. <laughs> turn on the TV. I turn on the TV and I pray in the spirit here. Because I didn't want my mind. And I just operating. And I started to worship. And then I get this idea. It's like a word of knowledge, an idea. And the idea is get a big glass sculpture. And give this guy the international piece award of the year. And when I got that thought, I thought, that is crazy. That's so crazy. There must be a Chernobyl one idea. I could never come up with it. That must be God. So I told my coordinator, he said, are you crazy? It was $241. The next day he came with a big knife. And it says, to the name of this top Muslim leader. And on it says, from Dr. Leif Hetland, the ambassador of love. And I put the Norwegian flag on that glass sculpture. Because then he can maybe think it is the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> My coordinator, Marcus, he came to the same person. And the person was like, I told you he's not. And he said, excuse me, but he has won. I don't want to mention his name because this is out there. And he actually just texted me right before the service. <laughs> but he said, I want, he said, if your boss finds out he won the International Peace Award, what is going to happen to you? So he went to his assistant, and again, the assistant felt this fear thing come in and said, yeah, what, what would happen if he has won an international peace award? I hold that back, and he's supposed to be honored. Let me go and talk to him. So he went to talk to him, and he got the, nobody has ever given me a peace award before. <laughs> and actually, Bob Phillips was with me. Dr. Bob Phillips was with me on that trip. <laughs> Before he died, so I brought Bob Phillips and a few of my friends. We went there. We ended up with an invitation to this headquarter. A few days later, we come there. There's about 400, 200 women with full veil. And this side, all these imams on that place. And we made a banner. And I gave him my book, Seeing Through Heaven's Eyes. And we got there. And by the time I got up, because from Chernobyl 1, when you look at someone, you don't see the terrorist salt. You see the Apostle Paul. So when you're looking at that radical person, what you are starting to see, you see love is patient, love is kind. It does not end. You're seeing the people the way Papa God sees people who doesn't treat them based upon their history, but their destiny. And so there was something the father was seeing. He was just helping me to see this man the way the father was seeing him. And then start to treat him and award him based upon how the father sees him. And then something started to take place when he received it. And I got to speak there and share. But, and this is another way for covertly prophesying. That means you go underneath the radar, you change the atmosphere. And I never forgot it. When we went to the vehicle there and we was going to leave, he held my hand and showed me one campus where one of his wife's and family lives. And here's the other one. We went to the mosque. We stood in a vehicle and this long line of people, imams came, they put their head into my chest, they squeezed. Next one, the next one, the next one. And the atmosphere just changed. He later visited, we did a, an event in Washington DC and came to our home, met my wife, was in my office and in my office, he opened up, I had put the Quran on the top of my bookshelf together with the Holy Bible. And he picked up the Quran in Arabic, he was reading for me. And I was falling asleep, and then the Holy Spirit came in. I was thinking, this is not a good time, Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I'm looking at his reading in Arabic, some surah from the Al-Quran. And I'm sitting and getting, and I see double. I'm getting kind of a little intoxicated in the Holy Spirit. And I was both tired, but I could feel the presence. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> And I'm trying to control it. And finally, he says, what, what are you doing to me? I said, what are you talking about? He said, what is this tingling from the top of my head? It's like this tingling. <laughs> oh, it's just the presence of Jesus. And then I had, can I pray for you? And he didn't say no, so for me that was a yes. And, <laughs> but I had enough favor to pray, but not to touch him. So I put my hand like the old vineyard over his head, not touching. But what we didn't know is that he just testified last five, six weeks ago. So this is 
But he had a 12-year food allergy to all these foods he couldn't eat. Very limited. And he could feel this fire that went down and it was circling around his stomach. The next morning at Wyndham Hotel in Peachtree City, I'm coming there and he said, you come to my room. And I'm, am I in trouble? <laughs> and then he opened up his laptop and he has the Skype there. And there's two wives with full burqa and the whole family with all the children. It's about nine of them on the screen. He says, I want you to give them what I received yesterday. And we released on the computer screen and the present hit over them in the Middle East while we were in his room. And he got totally healed from this stomach condition. I am, I'm sharing some of those testimonies. You can see these chairs, how they're operating. And my invitation is for us tonight, and I know we're going to land this, but it's to have just a simple, fresh baptism of love. He says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. What Jesus is actually saying, because all he said is what he heard the Father say. All he did. So when he is saying it is actually Papa God, Jesus says, I don't want you to be in chair number two any longer. And he's dealing with the prodigal sons and the brothers that are bought chair number two. They were both sons. And he's going to bring us home. And the baptism of love changes everything. And I've just seen it in this season. And I will wear a mask when I need to wear a mask. I'm, I'm a free person, but I wear a mask. I traveled to the Middle East in the middle of the COVID-19. Traveled to Europe in the middle of it. Gone to places where I came to one place. They were so strict with everything else. And it's like, you can't do this, you can't do it. And I said, I'd rather just be with 12 people in this room with all of the masks and all the distance and everything else than sitting by myself doing another Zoom call. Because where two or three are gathered, he is here. And yes, he showed up on Zoom, but I just love people. And he has not been limited. So for me, it's not about right or wrong because that's chair two orphan way. It is about what is wise and unwise. And honor is what love looks like. And the question in this season is, how do I honor people that dishonor me? Because a couple of times during this last year, the Holy Spirit had to convict me. He says, Leif, why are you prejudiced against people that are prejudiced? And why are you judging people that are judging? And I had to come home and repent again. And then decide with that Judas in my life to wash his feet. But you will not have a John in your life if you're not willing to deal with a Judas. And tomorrow we're going to go much deeper into the love. But I felt tonight is to get the framework because what I believe with all of my heart that you're going to see it, it doesn't take, if it is one little Norwegian, the last the region, and I wish that I could show you the little video from that. There was a region six years ago that was just totally caught up in Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Totally chair three darkness. But in the middle of all of that, they said, if you come to this area, you're going to get killed. And I said, my love for them is much greater than the hate is towards me. And I was there now, Pastor Mike from the Rock Church was with me. We came in, they put a horse, carried me on a horse into the area. Last year, the imam got healed and all kinds of things has taken place, but not a whole atmosphere, a room full of the madrasas where those children was trained to be suicide bombers. Now the presence of Jesus, we're praying for healing and Jesus is showing up. So I refuse to say that Albuquerque is hard. I've just been to a hard place. I've been to a place for 2,000 years. There's never been an intercessor. There's not been one missionary. There's not been one believer in 2,000 years. That's darkness. But for people of us who are living in chair number one, we're genuinely loving people the way that he loves us. So a couple of practical things that I wanted to challenge. First, it is for us to receive a fresh baptism of love. Where do you get that from? Jesus was baptized in water. Heaven opened up. The dove came down. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then he was affirmed by his father. He was baptized in love. It's when you have the voice from heaven that gives you an A plus on your report card before you take the exam. 
This is my, this is my beloved. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter whom I love and whom I am well pleased. And you no longer have to live from pressure, chair number two, when you can live from the Father's pleasure, chair number one. And I believe that there's something that God wants to do with us when we wake up in the morning, seeing ourselves the way He sees us. Because until I see that, I cannot see the world differently. And one more challenge. What would it look like if you loved you the way that the Father loves you? say that one more time. What would it look like if you loved you the way that Papa God loves 